Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. Hey, rock and rollers. Wow, you're just ready and raring to go. I'm full of beans today. Not actually full of beans. I was going to say, I was like, I've been with you all day. When when did you have beans? I decided to just down a can of beans when you were in the shower earlier. What like a weird image that would have been if I would have came out of the shower in a towel and you were just hunched over the couch like a gargoyle just shoveling beans just shoveling beans for whatever reason in my head like you did not cook them you're just eating them out of the can I think you can eat them they're fine I wouldn't there's I nothing wrong know. with them yeah it's not like you know I'm gonna get worms from beans it's just they'll be you know kind of starchy and oh they still have that weird bean water and if you ate them from the can though yeah well shit happens weird like the drink the bean water no why would you do that (laughs) now i'm thinking about bean water and this is where everyone turns the episode off everyone's done now (laughs) bye thanks see you next week (laughs) (laughs) no i hope nobody ran away because we actually have a really really cool movie to talk about a very cool movie to talk about this week cool rock and roll cool i don't know if anyone has that kind of attitude in this movie they're a little no. more like rad and intense than they just happen to be cool yeah like the fucking coolest the coolest of the cool satin 70s jackets and leather jackets are eternally cool that's very true and i'm very excited because i can recreate a lot of these outfits in animal crossing <laughs> have fun <laughs> harmony what movie are we talking about this week we are talking about 1979's Rock and Roll High School. Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Randall, and this is Rock and Roll High School. Rock, 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 rock and roll high school. I feel like that's how it's like it's illegal if you don't immediately start singing rock and roll high school. Like just an actual crime of film if you don't. It's it's just it's just so organic. Yeah. It's, it's a, called for. It's, it's appropriate. A one. Yeah. Typically this is where we get our synopsis from our friend Dango about the film, but our friends at Fandango have failed us this week. Is it because it's old or is it because it's Roger Corman? I don't know. It doesn't make sense why they don't have a synopsis. So instead, we're going over to 
the dark side, and going over to our friends at IMDb. I do not have a cute friend name for them. IMD buddies. I am. It doesn't work. IMD beans. Ew, no, no more beans. <laughs> You're fired. We're done. But according to IMDb, if you have never seen Rock and Roll High School, here's what it's about. Ramon's fanatic and delinquent Riff Randall battle it out with the strict new principal of Vince Lombardi High School, Miss Togar, with help from the Ramones. Okay, there you go. Sure, pretty much it. Yeah. Pretty cut and dry. I think it's a a bit of a stretch to call her a delinquent. She's kind of a delinquent. I mean, kind of. Like, she Uh, does, like, cool crimes. Okay, cool crimes is still delinquency. Like, she skips school to buy Ramones tickets and frequently, like, steals and blows shit up. Well, okay. Yeah, that's a really good point. But she she's not a delinquent until after. No, she was probably always a delinquent. Maybe. <laughs> You're really trying to, like, excuse this, and it's not working. Well. BJ, she blows the school up. Yeah, well, technically, to be fair, like, all of them work together to blow the school up. She pushes the plunger. She well, blows. Well, only one person can. We we will get into it a little bit later about my feelings about Riff Randall. Okay, fine. But anyway. But let's, let's let's before we dive into that, let's set the stage. Yeah, where are we at in 1979? I, I really liked doing this for our last movie, and I think this is going to just be a recurring thing about, like, what was hot at the time that this was released. Because I'll tell you what, it was uh, nothing like this movie. <laughs> Lay it on me. What we got? So let's take a look at uh, the Billboard charts for the week that this was released in August of 1979. Um, We are still in the thick of disco season. Hell yeah. The number one song is Bad Girls by Donna Summer. Hell yeah. That song rules. Yeah. uh, Also Hot Stuff by Donna Summer is also in- Hot Stuff is the better of the two. Correct. It is is further down the the top 10. And then you get like uh, some Barbara Streisand. What- Barbara Streisand, though. Um, the main event slash fight. Eh. I, I'm assuming it's a movie theme. Uh, there's a little, like, disco-adjacent things, like ELO and Kisses I Was Made For Loving You. Ah, uh, all-time favorites in this household. Yes. Uh, My Sharona and I Want You To Want Me by Cheap Trick are kind of in the ballpark of uh, the Ramones. Well, we'll come back to that, but yes, keep going. But, um, yeah, it's just a whole lot of disco. Like, just a lot of just cheesy disco stuff. I'm <laughs> like in the kind top of 30. all for it. Yeah. So uh, this is the, this movie is the antithesis of what was really big on the pop yeah, charts. Yeah, very, very much so. So uh, well, other movies that came out at the time. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. There's not really a lot of uh, teen stuff. Uh, I'll tell you that uh, Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Okay. Apocalypse Now. Okay. And uh, Zombie 2, not really teen movies. Nope. Nor is the the con- shit. <laughs> Yeah. Nor is uh, the Concord Airport 79. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't either. And uh, again, this is somebody's probably on the other end being like, "It's this." And it's like, "That's fine. Cool. I sure. I'm sure it's not airplane and that's the disappointing thing, but uh yeah, the uh the movies are a bit uh outside of the teen realm. So, uh, and with our final entry in looking back at the time period, because it's really fun to do this, especially because you and I aren't obviously from the 70s. Right. So I can look at things like 
Teen Bag Magazine. Teen Bag? Bag. I guess that's supposed to be like, like hey, what's, what's the bag? bag? Yeah, that makes sense. But it's like, this is a teen bag. <laughs> you want to know? Uh, you want to know some of the uh, the heartthrobs according to Teen Bag's cover story? Sure. Uh, Eric Estrada. Okay. Uh, he's quoted as saying, "I used to be shy with girls." Great. Uh, Rod Stewart is there. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Too big contest, a phone call with Philip McKeon and a Jimmy McNichols TV script. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a, a, a big pullout poster of Richard Hatch. See page 38. Ooh. I don't know who half these people are. <laughs> I, I got Eric Estrada and Rod Stewart, and then I'm tapping out. So, uh, yeah, I don't really know the teen idols of the era. <laughs> But I can tell you what, they are not Joey Ramone. <laughs> well, what's interesting is this movie is coming from 1979. And this is, I think, right before we really started considering teens as a demographic. Probably. I'd say that the teen genre has always kind of existed in pockets. Prior to this, the 60s definitely was popular with like beach movies. Oh, for sure. Which this is very similar to like a 60s beach party movie. Uh, and then once you hit the late 70s, I know you hate it, but uh, stuff like Grease and Saturday Night Fever was all the rage with the teens. <clears throat> I, I know that they're supposed to be like 17 in Grease, but they're actually like 35. Yes, it makes me very upset. <laughs> I know. But like, I think that's kind of the start of like really heavily marketing towards teens. That was definitely the start of it, but it hadn't become, I guess, like a perfected priority. Oh, not until the 80s. No. Until the 80s. Yeah, and then um, that was when the teen genre became a huge thing, probably with like the MTV generation. Oh, absolutely. Because um, this is, they started really thinking about it in like the 50s mm-hmm. because it was like, oh, teens have money and part-time jobs. They got but- their money from working a part-time job at the sock hop. Right. He's but, a soda jerk. Yeah, but then they don't pay rent and they don't pay ta- like bills or anything like that. So they, they were shouldn't like, shouldn't pay taxes. <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't pay taxes. Yeah, but um, you can't vote. You shouldn't pay taxes. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, but it really started kicking up into like a, a how do we how do we attract the youth market? Like that became more of a thing towards the late seventies into the early eighties, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting. So this movie's kind of falling right in the cusp of that and. Uh, Roger Corman, who produced this movie, really was trying to chase the the grease and the uh, Saturday Night Fevers because this was originally supposed to be called Disco High. I would watch that. Yes. I would do. And uh, I think I'm it sure it wouldn't be as good as Rock and Roll High School, no. but no, 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 no. I would totally watch Disco High. Um, but Alan Arkish, uh, who directed it, was like, what if... Instead of disco, we did rock and roll. And uh, thank fuck that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to kind of talk about what this movie could have been, because I okay. think that is fascinating. Sure. So famously, this movie has the Ramones in it, mm-hmm. who up until this point, they were not like a huge deal. Like they were kind of this relatively underground 
they they were a niche band. Yeah, they were. Their niche. albums they were, really were charting in New York. In, their albums were charting below. Uh, they they were above a hundred on the Billboard 200. Yeah, like they were pulling like a hundred and tens for the most yeah. part. Like you had to kind of be in the know and cool to know about the Ramones. Yeah, like one of their albums did like top fifty, and yeah. that was about as best as you were gonna get. They weren't pulling hit singles and stuff. So when they were putting together the movie, they're like, okay, well, what band can we have? And in talking to some bands, here were, are the three most likely contenders. The first one was Cheap Trick. Which I would love that. I would love that too. It's a weird choice considering they're such a Midwestern band and this is yes. set in LA. Yes. Um, because the Ramones kind of work even though this is an LA movie because they're from New York. And then you can kind of play with like the... East Coast, West Coast kind of thing. But throwing for somebody from the Midwest is weird. Well, I think the Ramones work because at their core, they're basically just doing surf rock, but very loud and fast. Oh, yeah. So it fits, like, and really gives gives extra credence to, like, the beach movie vibe that this has. Totally. Um, speaking of Midwest, one of the other possibilities was Devo. Which would have been Akron's a horrible best. choice. I... <laughs> As much as I love Devo and Mark Mothersbaum, that would have been a, the weirdest. atrocious. Could Can you, you imagine Riff Randall being like with the freaking flower pot hat going like, yeah, I'm Riff Randall and I'm really into Devo. But I also was thinking too, it's like one, like thinking about blowing up a school to whip it would have been hilarious. This is, this is pre-whip it. Oh shit, you're right. This is more of like uncontrollable. Oh, range. you're right. You're right. Um, would that have changed like the trajectory of their career? Like, would they have become like a big deal if they had a movie like this? I don't know. Did the Ramones become a big deal because of this movie? Kind of. Yeah. It definitely brought a they didn't, lot they more s- attention to them. Yeah, but they still didn't pop success. Yeah, no. You were nobody. still kind of in the know if you knew the Ramones. Yeah. So that's something interesting. That's but option two, but option three. Option three is the one that I have so many mixed feelings about because. Half of me is like, that would have been terrible. But the other half of me is like, no, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. And I'm very sad that they didn't go this way. Mm -hmm. Van Halen. See, I would love that because David Lee Roth is such a fucking ham. Oh, my God. He would be amazing. But at the same time, um, I I can't imagine like a romantic love ballad in Riff Randall's bathroom Featuring David Lee Roth and it being, like, at all sincere. Could you imagine him just, like, high-kicking? Can you imagine (laughs) Michael Anthony in the shower playing bass? (laughs) Oh, my God. Incredible. I just, I'm so sad that we live in a world where this movie doesn't exist. Like, I wish that we could have Rock and Roll High School, but then also, like... Rock and Roll Van Halen High School? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I want that. I want both. But if I have to choose one, this is the preferable option because... God, there's just so much more things that go up in the air when you throw Van Halen in the equation. <laughs> it just turns into, it's like it's like herding cats, you know. Just yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of hairspray happening in that version. <sighs> but that would be such like a different rock and roll movie. It wouldn't be yeah. punk anymore. It would be '80s hair metal yes. before '80s hair metal. Yes, takes off. that's why it's like, oh, it's so weird. But I think ultimately, for the story they're trying to tell. The Ramones were the perfect selection. Absolutely, Like, th- I think the Ramones really exemplify this anti-establishment, you know, do what you want, but have a good time sort of mentality that a lot of these kids have, which I think it, it fits. I agree. I don't think a, there could have been a better band to do this. 
because the Ramones had the credibility of being like a band who would grind and like never make a dime for their entire careers into the 90s mm-hmm. and just kept going and having that legitimacy but the pop melodies where everyone kind of nobody hates the Ramones like people who like no. pop like them punk like them heavy metal kids like them like everybody's like yeah no the Ramones are legit the Ramones are kind of like the great equalizer in terms of music because there is not a person on the planet who's gonna hear hey ho and not yell back let's go like those people don't exist yeah they're i'd say real. that and they're and just because they're in that like sweet spot of popular but not like the Beatles or the Stones or whatever, you don't have people going, yeah, but they're overrated. Yeah, those people. Like in the same way, we're just like, (laughs) well, but I mean, come on, like John Lennon wasn't actually a good singer. It's like, oh no, Joey Ramone's not trying to be a good singer. That's the point. Like, so they're in this weird pocket of just the perfect band for this. Mm -hmm. They've got attitude, which fits the uh, unique trashiness of the film Mm -hmm. that I love. They've got the California vibe, so it's now creating this coast-to-coast feel of Mm -hmm. New York because their accents are super thick. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they're real thick. And that covers up their, um, uh, we'll say... Bad acting. I said it so you didn't have to. (laughs) Subpar acting. There's probably a reason they have maybe a dozen lines between them in the whole movie. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like, they're really, like, it's absolutely perfect yeah and just imagine like it wasn't the ramones pick like any kind of unknown band that could have been in this role that wouldn't have gone on to be big and successful like scratch van halen scratch cheap trick pick some band you never heard of Mm -hmm. would this have been cool absolutely not it would have been like fine but it would have been cool right like they were the perfect thing of big but underground and legitimate and poppy and it's like this perfect intersection of a band who, by all rights and reasons, was not a big success so they could get them for this low-budget film. Yeah. So before we watched it again for this episode, what was your first experience with Rock and Roll High School? Because this is a harmony suggested week oh this is a this is this is a harmony special all the way like this is my shit (laughs) i love rock movies like any kind of rock and roll movie at all i love them because even if they're bad they're so much fun Mm -hmm. like there's no equation where it's like oh no this is this is a bad time whether it could be uh what the girl in the invisible bikini the ghost in the invisible bikini. Yeah, it could be that. And you know, you know what? It's it's weird, but hey, there's loud music and it's super duper fun, and we have a great time. It could be um, heavy metal, which is uh, spotty at best, mm-hmm. but super fucking fun. It could be rock and roll. You love rock and roll. Rock and roll is so much not. It's so much worse than it should be. <laughs> like, I really <laughs> want rock and roll to be better. But yeah, you can have musicals. You can have all of these things. But it's like. There's no equation where this movie should conceivably work in reality. None of them ever should. And that's so much the fun. Mm-hmm. Where it's not like, oh, Days to Confuse, they're listening to music. Mm-hmm. And this is a rock music because they're listening. No, no, like, fuck Days and Confused. Detroit Rock City, yeah, none of that circumstance should work. Give me the camp. Give me the weird. Mm-hmm. Give me the trash. It's, it's so much more enjoyable when it's like, no, we're going full in on this gimmick. Yeah. Like, commit to the bit. I'm right there with you because a lot of those movies that I really love, 
obviously like Josie and the Pussycats is a big one. Yeah. Um, I, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Danes is one of my favorite movies of all time. And like those movies only work because they're going all in on the gimmick. Yeah. And just imagine if Josie and the Pussycats was like, mm, we're going to half-ass this. Yeah. Gonna, we'll go halfway because we want to have some legitimacy. Then it becomes the Gem and the Holograms live action movie. And then you go ahead and rein in Parker Posey and Alan Cumming, and that is a waste of them. Exactly. Oh, so you God, have to so go good. full full <laughs> tilt, and it's so much fun. Yeah. I love this movie. This is, as I confessed to you when we realized how old the DVD was that we watched. Oh, yes. According to the back of it. It's from 2001. Yes. <laughs> and... Rock and Roll High School is one of the first DVDs that I have ever owned. I've had that in my life uh, probably since like 2001 or 2002. Mm-hmm. It was a gift from my Aunt Julie. Thank you, Aunt Julie. And I I loved that movie. She bought it for me because she's like, I know that you're going to like this. Mm-hmm. And closely after that, my mom bought me The Ramones and The Clash and a bunch of other like different music that she's like i don't know if you know what this is and here it is Mm -hmm. and i loved it i I listened to it pretty much nonstop. but this movie just really hit me in all the right notes and like the fashion is great oh god yes like the, the styling is great the comedy is pretty funny and for the most part a lot of it has aged well there's like a couple moments that are like oh but one in particular, we'll one get to in that particular, later, but, but for the most part, it's it's aged pretty well. And I I just love this movie, and I hope that people listening to this episode have seen it. And if they haven't, I hope that they are excited to check it out for this episode because people don't talk about this one a lot. They do, but only in like old man circles. Yeah, I don't think that anyone ever talks about it in the context of this is a teen girl movie. Yeah. And the reason it's a teen girl movie is because of hair icon and absolutely legendary actress, PJ Souls, as one Riff Randall. Okay, Randall. I think the problem is clear. I am a reasonable, well-educated, mature adult member of society. And you you are are a a spoiled spoiled heathen punk punk who has taken taken over over my school. So, Harmony, what do you feel about Riff Randall? Uh, she's the fucking coolest. Uh, yeah, she's amazing. I think she is who I wanted to be when I grew up. Right? So, uh, because I didn't mention it, and I, I feel like I just can't let this slide without just at least bringing it up. Uh, do you want to know when the first time I saw this movie was? Please do. I downloaded it off of LimeWire. Oh, that's a reference. For those of you who um, heard her say LimeWire and went, what is that? Uh, LimeWire is how we used to illegally steal media, and by steal, share media. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the communism of media. Yes. See, okay, but here's here's the thing. Here, I have paid for all of my music that I've owned since like I don't know 2006, 2007, whenever LimeWire died, mm-hmm. and as much as I want to be like, no, actually, pay for your stuff. When I was like 14 years old, LimeWire was the shit. I found so much music that I never would have found. And like, I kind of found my identity because I had the luxury mm-hmm. to just go, someone mentioned a band's name. I'm going to download their stuff. Mm-hmm. And LimeWire was a big fuck deal for that. Like, I, I, I wouldn't have had options because obviously there's no Spotify. 
I don't think Pandora was a thing yet. It was it was just a desert of music. But enough of my reminiscing about the virus-filled mess that was LimeWire. <laughs> Riff Randall is 100% who I would have wanted to be in high school. Mm-hmm. Because PJ Souls, for starters, just looks fucking cool. You can't quantify when someone just looks cool. Yeah. Like, she opens up with wearing, like, leather pants and Chuck Taylors and, like, a satin red jacket with, like, music notes on it. Mm-hmm. And is just jamming after hijacking the PA system of the school. Yeah. It's fucking cool. She looks cool with her big-ass amazing hair. Because PJ Souls has the most incredible hair. And she still incredible hair. Ugh, oh, God. It's, it's goals. It's goals I will never be able to fulfill. And it breaks my heart. But I just want to have her giant hair. And I, I hope people enjoy just the glee coming out of our voice because there's not a lot of substance to this movie and I'm just going to gush about how happy it makes me. <laughs> but she's she's cool. She's a rebel, but she's not too rebellious, but she totally fucking is. Yeah, I I love Riff Randall so much and I also love how this character sort of came to be. So the way that Alan Arkish describes Riff Randall is that, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, Riff Randall was, you know, president of student council or a cheerleader or something else. And then she discovered the Ramones and went, holy shit, this is who I am. This mm-hmm. is who I was always meant to be. Mm-hmm. When you have that musical moment where it everything just clicks in, in line with you or when a piece of media like really resonates with you, whether it's a movie, a piece of art, music, what have you, where suddenly everything that you thought you knew about yourself totally shifts mm-hmm. and i also have to acknowledge it because i just fucking said it pj souls is responsible for why i say totally all the time because if you ever listen to these episodes and i agree with you i tend to say exactly or totally and that comes from pj souls and halloween mm-hmm. because she is totally i have a shirt with her face on it that says totally from fright rags thanks fright rags um so that's how alan arkish describes the character And when it comes to PJ Souls, um, she did an interview a couple years ago with the Minneapolis Post, of all places. Sure, why not? And uh, she she was talking about becoming becoming this character. She says, it's funny because that was not me in high school. I was the editor of the school paper. I wrote editorials as a straight-A student. I was on student council, all of that. My best friend was the fun girl who smoked and had an adult boyfriend and would invite me over to her house for sleepovers, but I was very responsible, and that's why it was so fun to play Riff. From watching movies and admiring the girls that I never dared to be, I projected everything that I could, from all the girls I wished I was in high school and all the movies I had seen, to Sir with Love and Annette Funicello beach movies, and I just said, you know what, this girl's gonna rock. And I... I love that she brings that energy because Riff Randall feels so real because never do I feel like Riff Randall is trying to be like, I'm the edgy, cool punk girl. Like that's not, she's not angel dust, you know? No. She's like, I'm here to have a good time and I fucking love this song and I want you to love this song too. And that's what makes her so cool. Mm -hmm. Like she's not trying to be what she thinks like a punk rocker needs to be she's just being who she is and that's what makes her punk here's the thing and let's open this can of worms because this is this is a fun discussion what like what what it means to be punk um well yeah but that's not where i was going but we can end up touching on that okay so 
when you think of Generation One punk, there's three bands. Mm -hmm. There's The Clash, there's The Ramones, and there's The Sex Pistols. Mm -hmm. Anyone who knows anything about that era of punk knows that Johnny Rotten is a shithead and whatever, fine. That The Sex Pistols, they were all shitheads. And he would rip into the Ramones all the time because Mm -hmm. they did like pop songs. They would cover California Sun and Do You Want to Dance and shit Mm -hmm. like that. And it's so funny to think that the Sex Pistols, you know, the archetype of what you consider like what a punk looks like is rooted in the aesthetic of the Sex Pistols. Like at base level, the most generic punk you can think of whether it's from like the 90s or the 80s or whatever, it's all rooted in yeah, the sex Yeah, it's the pistols. plaid pants, a shredded shirt with some like fucked up iconography some and safety crazy, pins, crazy, crazy hair. hair, unwashed. Yeah, yeah, all that. It's all rooted in them. But the thing that's so weird about it is that the Ramones were the legit band. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm fascinated by the legends of the Sex Pistols because they are essentially assembled like a boy band. Right. Like, they're so inauthentic, but they feigned danger just by being shitheads. Yeah. And the Ramones were the legit group Mm -hmm. who actually, like, worked their ass off and were real punks and kept touring and didn't make money and didn't, like, become rich sellouts like, you know... The now largely uh, wishy-washy Republican that is John Lydon. Yeah. So... (laughs) I just find that so fascinating because what makes Riff Randall so cool is that she's not really a punk. She's a person who likes the Ramones. The idea of what a punk is, quote unquote, is stupid because mm-hmm. I I hate, well, well, you're not punk enough. It's like, cool. Well, the Ramones aren't punk enough by most people's standards anymore. Yeah. Like that term means nothing because... It's rooted in, like, a scene that lasted, like, eight months and then died. (laughs) (laughs) It's so ridiculous to me because here's what makes Riff Randall fucking punk and here's what makes her cool. Mm -hmm. Riff Randall isn't trying to look like anyone. She's not a female version of the Ramones. She's also not trying to emulate... At the time, what I think was the closest thing to like girl punk, which was like blondie appearance, she wasn't or, trying to do that either. Yeah, or the um, or the Runaways. Yeah, yeah, that would have been your closest comparison of what a girl punk would be, and she's not. Like that one outfit she wears uh, when she's camping out for Ramones tickets is one of the most like outlandish and vivid power pop style outfits you can imagine. As she's wearing like bright red and blue and yellow, she's basically like. Superman ice cream. Yeah. Like, that's what she looks like as a person. As she's camping out for, like, two days to get Ramones tickets at the front of the line. And she's punk because she's there to be herself, have fun, and isn't doing it for anyone else. She is, like, such the all-ages show, DIY, cool punk girl that you want to be friends with. What's also super punk about Riff is that, historically speaking... Counterculture communities are always about embracing, supporting, and helping the community. Right. And Riff is super into that, whether it's, you know, gym class where they're all going to have fun and do whatever, but, oh, God, the teacher's coming back. We're going to pretend to lead, you know, calisthenics so that nobody gets in trouble. Like, that's actually a very punk thing to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Or the fact that she buy, you know, she gets the tickets for the whole school. Like, yeah. she wants everyone to be able to enjoy this and have fun. 
it's she's not trying to be like this gatekeeping asshole of like, oh, well, I guess you're not as dedicated to the to the art or to the scene. She's like, hey guys, I stayed out for three days and camped out, and I got a, a hundred tickets, and here we go, like we're all going, and it's gonna be the most fun in the world. Yeah, and it's like that's fucking punk as fuck. I because love that. She's cool and. The antithesis of her is, you know, the number one fan of the Ramones, Angel Dust, Mm -hmm. who is the worst version of what you think a punk girl should be. Oh, yeah. She's being basically a groupie. She is cutting in line in front of people who are clearly there before you. She's she's just being an asshole. She's the girl that people think of when they're like, fake geek girl. Like, she's the rock and roll version of that. Right. And... You either are or you're not punk. And Angel Dust isn't. Angel Dust Angel just Dust looks like punk. one. This isn't a costume. This is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking for real. Uh, Something else that I really love um, from this PJ Souls interview is that she had never heard of the Ramones before. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she she says, I had never heard of the Ramones. As I left the final audition, Alan Arkish handed me a cassette of the Ramones and said, listen to this when you get home tonight. I was married at the time to Dennis Quaid, which I don't know if you knew that. What? <laughs> yeah, PJ Souls and Dennis Quaid were I married. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. I put it in the cassette player and I cranked it up. I was a big fan of the Eagles and Jackson Brown and J.D. Southerner and Linda Ronstadt. And then here came this noise and I went around my house screaming, oh God, I have to be their number one fan. What is this? What is this? Dennis kind of liked it right away, but I don't remember understanding it or really knowing what it was. It blows my mind today to think of that moment because I really couldn't hear anything about it I liked. And yet today I love them and I love their songs. Oh, that's... That kind of is a true Riff Randall story, isn't it? Yeah. Being I, like, oh, yeah, I was totally the opposite of this. Mm-hmm. But then the Ramones happened and I was like, well, now I love them, <laughs> I guess. Did you ever have a band like that where like the first time you listen to it, you're like, I don't get this. And now you love them? Um. So so one of my favorite bands and anyone who knows anything about me uh, is Bomb the Music Industry. Mm hmm. I love them. I love Jeff Rosenstock. I think he's just the coolest dude. I was always aware of Bomb the Music Industry for years. Um, I first heard about them on MySpace. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it was like 2000 and I guess it must have been like 2006, 2007. They had a song called I Don't Love You Anymore. And mm-hmm. it was just like this snotty breakup song. And it had a very, very low budget music video. Mm-hmm. And I remember that I heard that on there. And it, it's ska punk. And ska punk has always been like my genre ever since the yeah. 90s. So I remember hearing that and be like, oh, okay, that's fine, whatever. And every once in a while, they'd pop up on like my Pandora or my Spotify recommended thing. Where it's like, oh, you listen to ska punk. Do you want to listen to this? And I'm like, yeah, okay. And I hear a little bit here and there for years. And then in my 20s, it clicked. Yep. <laughs> because all those songs are about being like broke and depressed and drinking with your friends because like there's nothing else to do and all these other like all they're kind of songs about being a loser but also having fun Mm -hmm. and that 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 in my 20s that worked for me i got it and then it was just took off from there so i guess yeah i didn't it's not so much that i didn't get it Mm -hmm. but more so i just wasn't i wasn't there that i could relate to these songs Mm -hmm. yet they didn't have that kind of a lived experience where I could just immediately latch onto lyrics and feel them the way Mm -hmm. that I do now. Gotcha. How about you? 
So this one is going to make at least three of our listeners gasp, and I'm not going to call you out by name because I respect you and I love you. Okay. But as we know, as we've discussed many, many a time, when I was in high school, I was a little scene kid, mm-hmm. and I listened to a lot of you know scene and emo music. Oh my God. Is this going to be the band that I think it is? Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Um, but... I was also a snob about it. Mm-hmm. So there were definitely bands that I know were like super popular in your high school that I was like, no, we didn't listen to that at my like, Oh, we listened to mainstream emo stuff. Yeah. Like Ohio is for lovers. That was our shit. Yeah. So that was like shit that we like made fun of. If it played on MTV, like it was beneath us kind of thing. Yeah. No, that was that was my high school's emo shit. Yeah. There was one exception to that rule and that was Panic at the Disco because they've always fucked. So I was <laughs> very into that. But I actively was like, I'm not an MCR emo. I knew it was going to be MCR. I was like, I I am not an MCR scene kid. Like, they are too mainstream. Like, I was such an insufferable little bitch about it. And then what ended up happening is when fucking Welcome to the Black Parade hit. And like, don't get me wrong. I was like a closet MCR fan. I just couldn't let my other like emo and scene friends know that I really liked them. Because they had pop hits? Because they had pop hits. Like, if if I could buy your shirt at Hot Topic, like, no, no, no. Like, (laughs) you were not allowed. Okay. So I would like listen to them in private and I was like, no, I like this. But like, no. When Welcome to the Black Parade came out, that whole just album it, it was over. I was like, I can't, I can't pretend like I don't fucking love this. Yeah, that album's and it's, perfect. It's great. And then I, you know, had to kind of go back and it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm Not Okay is an amazing song. It is a banger. Helena, amazing song. Uh-huh. Fucking banger. All great videos. And I know they had an album before, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, but for real though, if you're introducing a band to like, it's a coming out party of a band, I'm Not Okay is the perfect video no shit yeah it's almost like those those signs that you see for like churches on the street where it's like are you lost confused it's like almost (laughs) like that and you're like oh my god i've been indoctrinated into this thing because of this video we're like i am also a loser who likes croquet and gets picked on in school (laughs) (laughs) and they're just like these subliminal messages flashing on the screen about questions about like what kind of loser you are yeah it really is and yeah, MCR was definitely that band. And now I am a 30-year-old woman who will gladly get down with MCR any day of the week. I'll skip that first album. Yeah, it's fine. And most of that last album. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> but they got other songs for me to choose from. So it's yeah, fine. exactly. They got two really amazing <laughs> albums right in the middle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I guess uh, I guess that's my, my version that's, of that's it. That's your, your blowing your mind kind of mm-hmm. band story. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, just Ruth Randall's real cool, and she's not deep as a character, mm-hmm. but she's not supposed to be. This is not a deep film. No. No, this is a this is a fun film. This is a feel-good, like, energy film, because it doesn't stop. Every, like, 30 seconds, you're getting hit with, like, a new bit, and mm-hmm. it's usually really stupid, but I think most of the jokes land... Because it's just like, go, 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 go. Here's um, exploding mice. Here's, right. Here's Clint Howard turning over a painting to reveal the back of the guy's head on the other side of the painting. The, the bits in this movie are so good. Like, they're really They're funny. some of the best from this kind of, like, era of yes, teen movies. The only one that is particularly bad, and um, I've mostly seen this movie on VH1 Classics reruns. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I used to catch it on there every once in a while, and... Uh, 
yes, I did watch it on my 160 gig iPod on mm-hmm. that very tiny screen. But the one bit that I don't remember that I saw that this time I was like, huh! when Riff Randall is waiting in line for a couple days, there is definitely a man dressed up as the most caricature of a Native American you can imagine. And everyone's like, scalpers. Yeah. And. Yeah, it does not. Uh, woof. What, I mean, is, what a what a visual gag that is, but woof. Yeah. So that is the one joke that I would say uh, you can skip on that one. And like. It, it can easily be removed, too, because it's really like an it feels like it's been inserted into a scene. Yeah. So if, if, if the guy didn't come back and actually was in the crowd for the Ramones concert, mm-hmm. then he would be so easily removed. But instead, he's in the background of the shots of that concert, <laughs> which sucks. But uh, God, I just think the bits all work in this. And with like the speed and the super campy trash of them, mm-hmm. it kind of hits this really this terminal velocity mm-hmm. of energy and momentum of 70s trash cinema. <laughs> yeah. Like, the Ramones are the perfect band for this movie because it's like, okay, there's a lot of fun and energy and pop, but they also probably only wear one pair of pants and never wash them, so it's just a little dirty. So speaking on that, would you like to know, uh, according to PJ, what it was like to work with the Ramones? Oh, God, yes. Hit me. (laughs) So she said that it was like a really fun set to be on for obvious reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a pretty quick shoot. It was 21 days. Sure. Um, She goes, right away, we had to rip out a couple of pages of dialogues because it's not like they went home and studied their lines. (laughs) Uh, So they were definitely, you know, fish out of water and... In her opinion, she thinks that's what makes the movie so endearing, and mm-hmm. I agree. Um, she goes, they were very, very quiet because everyone had to be at set at 6 a.m. <laughs> and, you know, they're they're rock stars. They're not used to 6 a.m. Like, yeah. no, they're used to playing till 4 in the fucking morning. Um, so they, they basically had to, like, drag them through the lunch line because they didn't eat either. Okay. Um, but they love Roger Corman. And they love Roger Corman films, so they said that they were uh, they were starstruck to be on the set of a Roger Corman movie, That's which I think really is funny. so cute. I mean, with the gabba gabba and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like no, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're big uh, big Corman fans, so that you know made them really happy, and I think that's probably a big reason why they said Agreed. yes to this. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I guess Johnny Ramone ended up being like a really big collector of Corman's films. Okay. Um, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and she goes, until we got to the concert scene, we all thought they were like half dead. <laughs> um, she goes, but then they started playing and they were just so adorable. But day one of shooting was the scene in the bedroom where Joey sings to me. Hi, PJ. These are the Ramones. Okay, Joey, you're going to crawl over PJ and sing this song. And then you're going to end up in the bathroom in your underwear. It was crazy. He ended up spitting in my mouth a lot because he was singing to me and I have my mouth open in adoration. I'm just looking at him with these big loving eyes and he was just spitting in my mouth. So I went home that night and rinsed with mouthwash. Uh, I love that so much. <laughs> like I'm just sitting there thinking about PJ Soul's language and like, no-sell oh my it. gosh, yes, this is oh, like Joey. so great. And he's just like singing and <laughs> spitting into her face. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god, I love that so much. I, I figured you would love that one. I, when I read it yesterday, I was like, I have to save this one because I want your reaction on oh the show. Oh my god, it's amazing. <laughs> and see, that just that's the right energy that goes into this movie because Roger Corman is so incredible and made some of the most magnificent and uh, you know trashy films, mm-hmm. and I love them so much. <laughs> but like. You were just telling me random stories about this thing where it's like, hey, uh, you know, at the end of the movie when he blows the school up, uh, that was a Catholic school and he didn't say he was going to do that. <laughs> yes. I was just like, oh, my God, that school's actually on fire. <laughs> because Roger Corman knows how to make a, a movie for like zero dollars. There is uh, there's documentaries about him. There's books about him. Uh, Roger Corman is a legendary film producer And a lot of it has to do with his ability to keep budgets super low and was such a brilliant tastemaker. Like, I mean, still is. He's still alive. But such a brilliant tastemaker to know this is what people are going to want to see. This is what's going to sell. This is what we need to do. And also curated some of the most incredible talents, like, of all time. Uh Um, Really, it's, it's really incomparable i mean maybe lloyd kaufman is like the only one that i could possibly think about but a lot of people that came out of you know the the school of trauma they Uh usually would go on to do like james gunn's obviously the biggest one for sure and like those are like superhero movies and whatnot Uh but a lot of like a lot of horror guys go there but corman like people who worked with corman are like Francis Ford Coppola and Scorsese and Ron Howard and Jonathan Demme and fucking James Cameron. and Francis Ford Coppola put out Apocalypse Now that came out at the same yeah. time as this. <laughs> yeah. uh, Galen Hurd, who's like legendary producer, um, just Jack Hill and James Horner and just so many just amazing people also started the careers of a lot of like a lot of actors like Sylvester Stallone just like Corman knew his shit and Mm -hmm. he's I mean to some extent still does know his shit and Mm -hmm. I think he's like 94 now which is just bananas so yeah I mean they they got the school it was Catholic school I guess instead of paying them for like a typical like set fee they had to make a donation to the to the diocese but definitely did not tell them they were going to do what they did. <laughs> yeah, fucking blow the goddamn school up. Um, a lot of it is with models, obviously. They didn't I know, actually blow up a school. But, but they set some fires. <laughs> there is definitely fires behind the entire cast yeah. <laughs> in the middle of like this courtyard of this school. <laughs> yeah. Before we move away from Riff, I do also want to acknowledge that Riff Randall is sort of like a feminist icon to a lot of people. Yeah, I um, love her. And it's very weird to think that she's she's a trailblazing character. They really didn't have movies, movies like this that were led by women. They just didn't. Mm-hmm. And I love that Riff is, she's a songwriter. Like she's not, like she's not a fangirl in the sense that like Angel Dust is. Not to say there's anything wrong with fangirls. Like you like what you like and express the way you like things in whatever way you want. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she's a songwriter and she, like part of her desire to meet them, like yeah, she still has her like fantasy scene in the bedroom for sure. But her main intention is like, I want to write songs for you. I love your music so much. I want to work with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really cool. A lot of movies that sort of follow these similar structures, it is purely from like a fangirl standpoint. Yeah, she she becomes 
an honorary Ramon. Yeah. She's on their level in this movie. I mean, canonically speaking, she wrote Rock and Roll High School. <laughs> exactly. What are you doing here? Oh, uh, these are my songs. I've been trying to get them to you for the longest time. Hey, it's real friend on them, one fan. Oh, wow, he remembered my name. This is the big time, girly. This is rock and roll. Yeah, well, this rock and roll high school. Rock and roll high school? Yeah, I wrote it for Mr. McGree's music class, but I really wrote it for you, Joey. First recorded version of it, Riff yeah. Randall. Yeah? But, okay, uh, before, uh, a quick aside with that, though. We talked about, like, trauma, and we talked about, like, kind of cult cinema and a lot of aspects of this. There's so many ways that this movie could have gone poorly. Oh, yeah. And yet it doesn't. Yeah, this could have been some, like, such a tongue-in-cheek mess. This could have gotten, like real dicey with like teenage girls this uh-huh. could have gotten really like sexual in a way that it doesn't need to be this mm-hmm. could have been so many things and it's not and i don't know how much the extent of this movie resonates with women as a whole because like riff randall feels like a joan jet type character mm-hmm. where she's like a part of the boys club you know mm-hmm. she's she's the she's the girl who can hang mm-hmm and I don't know how many, like, women got into this movie as much as men did. Mm-hmm. But casting this character only sort of works in a fan setting mm-hmm. because she's a girl. Because she is in love with Joey. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, she's, she's, she admires them and is in love with him. Mm-hmm. You can't have that if you cast a male lead. I mean, you can, but they weren't going to. Right. So I feel like the creation of the Riff Randall character is sort of incidental Mm -hmm. and accidentally as groundbreaking as it is. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I will say you would be surprised how impactful this movie is for women and how many female fans that it has. No, I know that there's a lot. I'm saying that like... I'd say disproportionately there was probably more dudes. At least I've always talked to more guys who are into this movie than women. And it's just because, like, oh, Riff Randall's the girl I would have had a crush on. Like, she's the girl who could hang. And I think this is where you and I, you know, differ a little bit in terms of our, I guess, like, our upbringings, our experiences, and, like, you know, women-centered Well, yeah, my whole thing is purely anecdotal. Right. Because, you know, somebody like myself who I, I like I work in horror mm-hmm. and I've been working in horror forever a lot of the women that I interact with and work with are women who have constantly been those that had to exist in male dominated circles mm-hmm. so it's pretty universal across the board that for the last 10 years or so the women that I work with or know or whatever they're all humongous fans of this movie because of Riff Randall. Because Riff Randall was the first time that they saw themselves, like, represented in in this character who was, like, really fun and, like, punky and very, like, sure of who she is mm-hmm. and just fucking loves what she loves and does not give a single shit how anyone else feels about the thing that she loves. Like, mm-hmm. she's not letting anybody get her down. And when you are... A woman and you do love something that is quote unquote for the boys you have to kind of be that way oh yeah you have to be extra yeah you have like you have to overachieve otherwise yes. you'll be 
you will not be taken seriously. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know I tweeted about this the other day, but somebody was asking me, like, well, why don't I ever play, like, movie trivia? Because there's all these movie trivias happening during quarantine. And it's like, well, one, I've, you know, brain damage. So I my ability to recall information is not as great as it once was. You'd be surprised how good you are, though. Well, you I sell yourself it. very short on that. <laughs> Thank you. But more so it's because, you know, when I first started writing about horror and I was 18, if I so much as, like, mispronounced a name i get like so anxious sometimes doing the show and thinking i'm gonna mispronounce somebody's name Mm -hmm. um if i spelled somebody's name wrong or a character name wrong whatever there would be hundreds of comments of people being like you should effing die because you're a dumb bitch and you Mm -hmm. shouldn't be allowed to talk about horror and because people are assholes yeah so to have somebody like riff randall that is pretty much like "Mm, yeah no go fuck yourself i love the ramones they're the best band in the world and i don't give a shit what you say yeah is so impactful and so cool to see and that's why that's why riff is awesome oh of course and i mean i'm not gonna argue that she's awesome yeah my question i guess and one i love how many people within like the genres that we roll in Mm -hmm. like outside of the podcast one, I'm I'm not surprised in any way that everyone loves this movie and loves Riff. I guess when I had my statement about like, oh, well, I think more guys like this movie than women do, or however it was that I phrased it, I think that's just because at least the people that we hang out with mm-hmm. are disproportionately more into like cult classic films like this. Or, that's also true, yeah. Or, you know, Roger Corman or any any number of the intersections that could have brought them to this to this dance. Well, I also think that this movie just kind of is inherently very underground in punk because it's a Roger Corman movie. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't something that has gone really mainstream ever. Like, a lot of cult films at this point have gone mainstream things like Rocky Horror or Heathers or whatever, mm-hmm. where randos now know like what this movie is. I'm like, oh, this movie's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Rock and Roll High School is still pretty underground because it's it's a B movie. Like it mm-hmm. was made for, you know, fucking hot dog and a handshake. <laughs> so I think in order to even know this movie exists, you already have to be somewhat like underground or counterculture-y. Mm-hmm. Um, so that may speak to it as well. Whereas you also come from the background of like going on like rock forums and oh yeah, you know, I hung out with old men on the internet, right? Like old men on like, the internet. So I cut of my course teeth they on, know this. I cut my teeth on the internet by uh, hanging out on classic rock forums back in the day, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it was mostly a bunch of dudes who were like forty and up, and they were just like, oh yeah, Ruth Randall's the kind of girl that I wanted to be friends with, and there would be like nine guys per one female on that site, right? Like that was how it was, and. I, not every woman that was on that site was into the kind of music that this was going to present, or at least yeah. the kind of like camp B movie status that this presents. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, certainly from my perspective, it was it was always a little bit more of a an oddity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's the only reason that I bring it up is because this is one of those I think cool intersections that exist between both of our lives where we come to this movie and the movie's fandoms from totally different angles. Oh, of course. (laughs) And I think it's really telling, too, that, like, as, you know, a a rock forum would be that, of course, you know, in the early ages of the internet, that was going to be dominated by dudes. Oh, of course. For sure. Well, I think you and I can come to this from two different angles, where I found this movie as someone who went, oh, the Ramones have a movie? Cool, I'm going to go check that out. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, like, a lot of people who exist in, like, your film world of, like, you know, cult films, uh, horror-adjacent, B-movies, Roger Corman, et et cetera. 
they're all coming to this as a film person first. Yeah. Okay. That's a really, really good point. And I think that that totally tracks as far as why, you know, the demographics might be so different. That's not to Mm -hmm. say that there aren't like really awesome like women who analyze music. Of course, of course there are. Mm -hmm. But in like the early 2000s. Not on a music forum. There weren't a lot. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, the internet was not a a great place for (laughs) women who were fans of quote unquote male dominated genres or industries. Even though music is not, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that that's a real testament to the power of Riff Randall, though, in yeah. that everyone... All roads lead to a riff. Yeah, everybody loves Riff Randall. <laughs> and there are obviously other characters in this movie. I mean, she's got her friend Kate. She's cute. She's cute and fine. We've got, she's, you know... She's very supportive friend who lies about people dying in Riff's <laughs> life for her. Yeah. She's she's a great, uh, you know, a great second in command. Uh, we've got, you know, Clint she, Howard. Oh, God. So... We were watching this movie, and I'm like, why does this movie, more than any other film, make Clint Howard look less like a Martian? And I'm convinced it's the sideburns. I think they they disarm his face. Yeah, they frame it a little bit nicer, I guess. Maybe. He just looks so much less like... like, He looks... He doesn't look like Ice Cream Man. Yeah, he looks like... Okay, so like... Clint Howard got his start on Star Trek being like a little Martian baby, and he mm-hmm. kind of has always looked like a little alien baby. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but I remember, uh, I think VH1, I Love the 70s did this, which I feel like we've been referencing a lot recently. It, I think it's just because it's one of those shows that sort of etches itself into your brain, and then you can't escape it. Like... This is sound really stupid, but whenever I watch the movie Poltergeist, uh-huh. all I can think of is one of the actresses from Mad TV, whose name is escaping me, talking about Poltergeist and being afraid of the steak on the counter, and she says it, and then there was the meat moving, and that replays in my head every single time uh-huh. I see that scene now. <laughs> And it's because of I Love the 80s. Oh, God. There's definitely been a lot of those moments for me, but I couldn't pull one off the top of my head. But uh, the scene that I remember was talked about on the forums I was on, because it was a lot of dudes with, like, coming-of-age sort of memories. Mm -hmm. And also I Love the 80s is Clint Howard with the bra removal scene. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) for anyone who hasn't seen this yet, which, first of all, like, do yourself a favor. (laughs) Watch the movies before we talk about them. It's a gift to you, I have never been more enthusiastic about a film we've watched because this is the film I'm more of a fan of than anything else we've ever covered on this (laughs) show, I think. Um, But anyway, uh, Clint Howard is basically teaching a class about how to remove various different types of bras for this guy tom who's like the very uh stuffy 50 style jock mm-hmm. with like the letterman sweater and everything mm-hmm. and you and i have talked about this off camera before but i've definitely been with like girls when i was like a teenager or a young 20 something and i would have to i would use like two hands to like unclasp the the bra hooks and they'd be like no if you can't do it with one hand you can't you haven't earned it if anyone dared to undo my bra with one hand, they would break their fingers. You have like five hooks. Some of my bras have seven. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Yeah, like my fancy going out strapless bra has seven. Yeah. And so they like- are industrial <laughs> and they are holding a lot of weight. They are really holding it together to the point where just the, like the strain on them to hold it all in, mm. you're not getting that off with one hand. That's... I be- bananas. Someone who probably could, 
is Johnny Ramone with his like eagle claw right hand for strumming that just looks like carpal tunnel. I yes. bet he could. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's see. There's also the principal. That's probably the most fleshed out character of other than Riff. Saying fleshed out, I think. Okay, is she's kind. one note. Yeah, she's an archetype. Ever everyone is an archetype basically in this. And she just swings that mouse around. Oh my god, that poor she mouse. She swings that mouse around like cops swing around what are supposed to be full cups of coffee on <laughs> cop shows. Yeah. Just like with- this poor mouse is just flying all over the place. <laughs> and it's one of those things where we were watching it and we're like, I can't tell if it's a real mouse the entire sure time. Or I think it- there was one part where like it does a loop and it might not have been for that, yeah. but I think it's mostly a real mouse. Yeah. It's like, how did it not? bite the shit out of her. I don't know, but... I don't know. Speaking of mice, though, her giant... Like, that giant mouse costume at the end, that's Rob Bottin. That's Mr. Special Effects for the Thing. Amongst other things. Making the most realistic mouse furry suit I've ever seen. I can't think of any other mouse furry suits. I don't know. Maybe whatever they use for, like, the Nutcracker ballet on ice or some shit. The Witches has a mouse costume, but it's not furry. It's quite disgusting for that transformation sequence. (laughs) Which is so disappointing because, like, the mice are so cute in that movie. (laughs) Yeah, and Mary Warnov is... She she's a, a pretty well known face in a lot of Roger Corman films. She did a lot of B movies. She has a very distinctive. She has face. a very distinct face, and I think she is nailing it as kind of the stuffy, you know, shitty principal. Mm-hmm. And I also love that she's very militant and is a lady. Like I love militant ladies with strong brows and powerful lips. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, those characterizations always really work for me yeah. because I think this movie would be far less interesting if it were like a very militant man. Like that's just boring. Yeah. And I wouldn't fact, like that as much. Yeah. And the fact that she's, you know, just doing her thing. I, I, I can kind of respect. I love a woman in command. I love that she has like little cronies that are fucking the, the hall monitors, the, the, the tubby hall monitors who have some pretty good physical humor because they're just bumbling fools. Oh, which, yeah. They are stooges. Yeah. Which I, I really appreciate. And I mean, then she's got this like sort of we respect each other, sort of we're flirty with the police chief, one Mr. Dick Miller. That's that's the biggest crime of this movie, aside from the Native American racism, is they made Dick Miller a cop. Yeah. How dare they? <laughs> it's like on like the, our small list of ACAB, except it's like Mappy and robocop robocop and dick miller in rock and roll high school <laughs> but only because it's dick miller not because his character his character's a douche yeah his character's still a shitty cop but he's but dick like, miller he's dick miller and <laughs> so it's dick not miller as bad he wants. um oh the music teacher i love him <laughs> i love the super dorky music teacher who just uh, he's just excited that the kids are into music i love also that he's on like schroeder from the peanuts levels of in love with beethoven that yeah. makes me really happy yeah uh yeah, this this movie really just has everything going for it. And what's also kind of weird for me to think about is, do you think they could ever make a movie like this ever again? Like in any any other time, decade, whatever. Can you make a movie like Rock and Roll High School or is it only possible at like that moment in time? I don't know. I don't think you could. I don't think you can either. I really like, don't. The 80s may have been the last decade you could have done that. At least to, at least to have it be camp and like a fun movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you made it now, like it's either going to be like some watered down Disney kind of film. Mm-hmm. You could get away with making it fun, 
or it would take itself seriously and it shouldn't. I also think that it would be impossible to make this movie now because they would want to use a band that is huge. Yeah. Like, because what's the... There's no real, like, trajectory of... One, we don't really have bands anymore. No, not... Like, not on, like, the mainstream, I should say. No, you don't have rock music in the mainstream anymore. You'll have, like, an Imagine Dragons or something. Yeah, you have, like commercial rock not like commercial in the sense of popular like literally commercials commercials yeah like music meant to sell cars yeah um that's the closest we have to like popular rock but here's the thing you know in a sense like that means that punk and garage and emo and ska and all these all these genres they've gone indie and that, Which is so weird. Yeah, but that that's just weird because of when we grew up. But yeah. if you think about that, that kind of makes now maybe the best time to make a movie like this. Because when Rock and Roll High School came out, disco was the thing. Okay, yeah, good point. Which there weren't really a lot of bands charting at the time. Yeah, like okay, the albums that's were, a but the really good weren't. point. Maybe it's time to 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 do Rock and Roll High School again. Do, do give me give me Star of the Sonderbombs. Oh my gosh! Could you imagine? Could you imagine Willow burning down a building? Yeah, please. I mean, I could imagine it. I could. Is the thing they, Willow's they a badass. <laughs> <laughs> like, get, start the Sonder bombs, or give me like, uh, we are the Union, or yeah. oh my god, or Pup. Yes. Give give me. There's a lot of good bands that they could totally do a rock and roll high school now. That'd be really fun. Like, and you, and it doesn't have to be expensive. Just get some people who are really good at, at balling on a budget. With some good practical effects, you could totally do a rock and roll high school again. For the movie's 40th anniversary, Alan Arkish did a uh, interview with Variety, and I really like what they because they talk about this very thing, and they say the idea of a green light for rock and roll high school is nearly unimaginable today. Picture it: a strong, defiant female lead living in the suburbs, idolizing a little-known punk rock band from New York City. Campaigns to see their upcoming concert, skips school, pisses off the principal, rejects the popular kids, and assists in blowing up her high school. Could a film like this find an audience? Arkish didn't have a doubt. <laughs> and I also love that even even just this movie on its own is punk because it didn't get a wide theatrical release. They like took it on tour because, you know... Right. Corman's cheap. And <laughs> that's just what he does. How do you tour a movie? So what they would do... Is, wait, didn't they... Oh, hold on. Isn't that like a really old school way of doing films? Like for something like Wizard of Oz? Kind of. D- yeah. So what they would do is they would have, you know, the, the film would be in the cans and there was only like 100 or 150 prints of the movie made. So either you could, you know, send a couple of them to like your bigger cities and then the rest of them, like you would personally take them to the theaters to screen them mm-hmm. um so they were saying that they used to do double bills a lot in chicago and the most popular double bills were uh rock and roll high school and dawn of the dead tight love that or Which, it's so weird because dawn of the dead's kind of a deliberately monotonous film yeah and this is so high energy that's such a weird double billing well the other double billing makes a little bit more sense but also makes me so angry i want to blow up a building and it's Rock and Roll High School would play after Grease. Um, I mean, it's a great palate cleanser because that movie's garbage. Also, I guess, is this where we tell the, the audience that we will never cover Grease on the be- podcast? Because you refuse. Because I actively refuse because I hate it so much. The only way we ever would, like, 
Patreon, maybe, like, you'd have to give me money because it... Get a good goal. It'll make me so angry. It'll just be me yelling for an hour. Nobody wants what, that. How, how much do we need to get the Patreon up to a month for you to cover Greece? What's our goal? $500. $500 and we'll do Greece? Yes. All right. You all heard it. You want this to happen? <laughs> Subscribe to the Patreon and tell your friends to God, so the BJ has to watch Greece. Greece. Oh. I've never watched Greece with BJ. Uh, I haven't actually watched Greece since probably like high school. And uh, I think that would be the easiest a miserable way to time, it and is, I would love it. You know that scene in Waiting when Naomi is waiting for the food, and David Kirshner's trying to figure out the tickets, and yes. he can't figure out what goes to what, yes. and she's just hyperventilating and putting her hand in her head, and she finally just screams, "God damn it!" God damn it! Yeah, that's me the entire that's, time. I'm you're just smoking like, your <laughs> cigarette, and your hands <laughs> jiggling, and she's like. Fuck. Yes, that's me watching Greece the whole time. It's a uh, miserable experience. Uh, which, like, that's so funny to me that this is a double billing because this movie is the antithesis of Greece. Yeah, and I can't imagine people who went and saw Greece would be interested in this kind of like sleazy version of Greece. See, what I hope is that people were like, ah, "Let's go watch Greece. It's so fun." <laughs> and then they stopped and they were like, "Wait, Riff Randall's fucking awesome." Or they Fuck got scared that away. Movie. I want to watch this. <laughs> Shh, don't talk about the fear. I don't want that. I like that. I I want to believe that either they embraced it because they saw something significantly better than Greece. Yeah. Or they ran in fear because you don't have like Oh well, oh well, oh well, oh with like okay, chicken that's too arms. Many. You got like three seconds in, and my blood pressure already <laughs> is through the roof. I just, I can't. I just maybe they had the PJ Souls thing where they're like, "What is this noise?" Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I think that's really who knows. Who, who knows? <laughs> if, if any of your parents ha- saw that double billing, let us. Yeah, know. let us know. Or because I know we've got some some young listeners too. Your grandparents. Oh Ugh, God. I feel like I'm a thousand years old. Um. Yeah, this movie is fucking awesome. I love it. There's not a whole lot to say in terms of dissecting it. And I think we, I think we. Like we talked about the theming, what what little there is. Yeah. It's just about like the true spirit of punk. It's all about fun and energy and inclusivity and mm-hmm. yeah. We squeezed a lot of blood from that stone and I'm, I'm very happy we did it. I mean, this was mostly just like, I, I wanted to gush about a movie I liked a lot because it totally <laughs> fits our criteria. And also... Fun little achievement. This is currently the oldest film we've ever covered. Yeah, it is. This is our only film from the 70s so far. And it made it by a whole year. Just barely. Just barely. From like August. It barely (laughs) made it. (laughs) Um, Well, Harmony, that brings us to the question. Mm. Rock and Roll High School is asking you to the prom, or in this case, I guess a concert and then to blow up the school. Is it going to ask me if I do it, do it, do it, do I want to dance? <laughs> is it a yes a no or a maybe and are you writing anything on the card back oh it's a fucking emphatic yes like no hesitation <laughs> yes and i i could just reference various ramon songs in my in my notes mm-hmm. that's all i need just like hey uh this came out the same year as my favorite ramon's album it's alive it's their live album that's like 45 minutes and has like 24 songs on it because <laughs> all of their songs are 12 seconds long it's all like a minute and a half two minute songs it's so fast <laughs> So what do you think of my school, guys? Boy, when you have recess, you really go all out. Consider yourselves officially enrolled in Rock and Roll High School. The facilities are yours. Do whatever you want. This movie's amazing. It's perfect. I, I don't need to say anything more than I've already said. It's mostly just us gushing about how much we love Riff Randall and PJ mm-hmm. Souls and the Ramones are cool and this movie's amazing and 
a favorite of mine. Good. I'm glad that we got to do this one too. I also have a little confession. I don't know if I've told you this. I think I Oh, have. I don't like where this is going. So in the early days of my blogging, so back in, you know, 2009, uh-huh. um, we used to do these things all the time called blogathons, mm-hmm. where pretty much one website would pick a theme and then a bunch of other websites and blogs would all do a post or an article that had to do with that theme and then we just like cross post them to each other and we were like oh i'm participating in you know the dario argento blogathon and then everyone would write a piece like a different piece about argento Mm -hmm. well my former website day the woman hosted a pj souls blogathon okay and it was an entire uh week of people doing posts dedicated to pj souls and different movies she's been in uh somebody that. did a really awesome uh piece entirely about the local h song whatever happened to pj souls uh-huh. uh which was really cool um because fun fact local h is from my hometown which is very fucking weird um yeah. a very weird coincidence but yeah pj souls is my mom's boyfriend was very excited when you told him that yes yes he was thrilled. <laughs> Um, yeah, PJ Souls fucking rules. So I'm glad we got to cover this all-time fave for both of us. And I love seeing you get this excited about a movie. Well, see, that's the fun thing about this movie is that the whole gimmick of our podcast is that I don't know shit about shit. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. I enjoy the movies we watch. But so rarely do I get to watch like a me movie where Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I knew about this before the podcast. Mm -hmm. It's totally my shit. I love it. And I'm excited about it. Like that doesn't get to happen very often. Yeah. So this like hit the perfect intersection of like, hey, it's a rock and roll movie. It's legit. It's got a female lead who's amazing. It's campy 70s garbage that I love to (laughs) no end. It's like the perfect diamond to my heart. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we could have this experience together. It made me happy. Good. I'm, I I had a lot of fun, too. I'm going to be really excited to listen to the audio to this because I feel like I've been shouting. It's probably <laughs> clipped the audio. I bunch. love this movie! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, friends, uh, that uh, I think that'll do it on uh, this episode of The Sensent Prom. As always, you can follow the show on twitter and instagram at this ends at prom you can follow me on twitter and instagram at bj colangelo you can find me on twitter and instagram which i don't use very much at velocitraptor velosa underscore trap underscore tour talk to me about punk music talk to me about how much you love rock and roll high school (laughs) and as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for letting us use their track title for our theme song. Support their music. Get Clothbound. It rules. Somebody cast them in Rock and Roll High School 3 because there actually is a part 2 and it's really bad. Shh, we don't talk about it. It doesn't exist. <laughs> Someone cast them in a remake you of Rock and Roll nothing. High School. <laughs> All right, friends. That takes us out. Save the last dance for us. Bye. Bye.
and Roll High School, the school where the students rule. Could your school be next? This is the happiest day of my life. Gabby, Gabby, hey. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.